Luke 1, 1 to 4. We got some ground to cover tonight, people, so settle in. Settle in. Luke 1, 1 to 4. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness report circulating among us from the early disciples, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I also decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus. So here's Luke, the great physician, great historian of the first century, deciding to give an account of the witness of Christ to his dear friend. He says, so you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. Tonight begins a new series for us that we have entitled, Emmanuel, God is with us, are you? Are you? Emmanuel means God is with us, and if you've been around church for any amount of time, you know that. Even if you have not been around church for any amount of time, you're probably familiar with that, especially in the Christmas season. We're, we're, we're tacking on this question to the end of this declaration that God is with us, especially through Christ, are you, because I am asking the question in this series. We're going to be asking it every weekend in December if you believe in the incarnation of Christ, are you living by his example? If you believe in the incarnation of Christ, if you believe in the miracle of the incarnation, are you living by the example that he set for us? I'm going to introduce you to two theological terms tonight. They are orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Ortho means upright. It means straight. And as you know, from the beginning of the year, when we did our doxa series, it's a Greek word that talks about belief. So when you put ortho and doxy together, you're talking about upright beliefs, the right beliefs. So every religion has orthodox beliefs. It's the beliefs that they believe to be true for them and that they agree on them. Orthopraxy might be a term that's new for you, but it's just as important. Ortho still means straight and upright, but praxy means practice. Meaning that is your life in keeping with what you have declared to be true? If you've embraced orthodox beliefs, is there orthopraxy? Are you living out what you have confessed to be true? We have seven orthodox beliefs that we taught in that series, Doxa. The Bible is true as one of them, so let, let's use that as an example. If you believe that the Bible is the divinely inspired word of God, that it is infallible, that it is reliable, that's an orthodox belief. Orthopraxy is then saying, as I read this Bible, when my life is out of alignment, I bring it into alignment. When the Bible says I should do this, fill in the blank, then I make my life about doing those things. When the Bible says don't do that, then I abandon those things because I know that it is wrong. You with me, the difference between orthodoxy and orthopraxy? There's a whole lot of people that believe the Bible is the word of God. It's another whole different list for people who are living that out. Orthodoxy and orthopraxy. We believe in the orthodox belief of the incarnation of Christ. Let me give you a couple of examples of what that means. It's going to come on the screen. We believe in the preexistence of Jesus. It means that Jesus' life did not begin at conception like it did for you and I. Jesus was in heaven before he came to earth. He actually left heaven in order to come to earth. 
The pre-existence of Jesus is a central part of the belief of the incarnation. He left heaven to come to earth. He took on human form. He was, and it's past tense here because he's not fully man anymore. But when he was here, he was both fully God and fully man. I can't explain to you how that works. It's part of the miracle of the orthodox belief of the incarnation of Christ. God is with us. Let me share this thought with you. The incarnation of Jesus, Emmanuel, is more than God's plan for our salvation. This is God's example for us. He expects us to be tangibly present with one another. Let me read that last part again. He expects us to be tangibly present with one another. Orthodoxy says, I believe in the incarnation of Christ. Orthopraxy, now there are lots of practical applications of how we live out the incarnation of Christ. And we're just talking about one of them in this series, this idea of incarnational living. But this is certainly one as well. Let me read this list to you. Are you physically present with God's family? If you believe in the miracle of the incarnation of Christ, orthodoxy, orthopraxy asks you the question, are you following the example of Jesus? Are you physically present with God's family? Are you making sacrifices to serve God's family? Are you intentionally seeking out spiritually lost people? This is going to be one of our big emphasis for 2022. I don't do as good a job with this as I should. We're going to do a better job of it together. Come on next year. Tell the story. Are you intentionally seeking out spiritually lost people? Are you regularly participating in public worship? Are you genuinely concerned? We're going to talk about this one tonight. Are you genuinely concerned for the well-being of other people? It's one thing to say we believe in the miracle of the incarnation, which we love to do coming in the Christmas season. It's something else to say by way of self-reflection, by way of self-examination, is my life defined by incarnational living? And as we're going to see tonight, as we look at the Christmas story, and we're going to be looking at different vignettes within the Christmas story all throughout this series, not only is the Christmas story the story of the incarnation, but within each part of the story, it teaches us what incarnational living looks like. Look at the person next to you and say, you are wise. For some of you, that might be a prophetic declaration. It's okay. Speak to those things that aren't as though they were. <laughs> oh. Your wisdom. Your wisdom. Luke 2.52. I love this verse. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. This is an important verse in Scripture because it is speaking directly to the fact of the incarnation. There was a, a belief that circulated in the first century that Jesus was just a, a, had a spiritual body, didn't actually have a physical body because they believed that everything that was physical was evil. Verses like this are in the Bible to challenge that. No, no, he grew in stature. What does that mean? He had a physical body that had to grow and mature, just like you and I have a physical body that needs to grow and mature. And at this point in life, we hope that it stops growing. Jesus was not born into a wilderness by himself 
and figured out how to grow physically and mature on his own. He could have come into the world in any way he chose, but he chose to come in a family. He, God chose for him to be born into a family with a mother and a father and eventually have brothers and sisters who lived in a neighborhood where there was a community. Can we just agree that if Jesus had been born into this world by himself, if he was fully man, which we believe that he was, without some supernatural divine intervention, he would have perished because a child cannot survive on their own. We need people to care for us, to nurture us, to help us, to create an environment that makes it possible for us to grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and people. Can we just agree how powerful of a prophetic picture this is for you and me when we make a vow of devotion to Christ and we are a newborn in our faith? Can we just agree how important it is for everyone in this room who's made a vow of devotion to Christ? And if you made it a long time ago like I did, for me it was in December of 1990, even though I was 23 years old, I was a spiritual infant in the beginning of my faith journey. And you know what I needed? I needed a family. I needed spiritual mothers and fathers. I needed spiritual brothers and sisters who could help me who could share their wisdom with me, who could share their life experience with me, who were willing to walk with me, who were willing to say, hey, don't do this, or hey, have you thought about that? We need examples to follow. The family of Jesus is a prophetic picture of the spiritual family that all of us are desperate to have. At what point did Mary and Joseph say to Jesus when he was an infant, you're on your own from here on out? At what point did his parents say to him, we're, we're not going to provide for you anymore? Of course they did not. Of course they did not. When you think about your practices over this past year, over these past few months? Are you withholding your wisdom and life experience from the spiritual family that you call home? See, because if you're not physically present with other people, then relationships do not form. And there is not an exchange of trust that begins to take place, which means that when people who are new in their faith, or maybe they made a vow of devotion a long time ago, but they got stuck in that place, and even if it was 10 years ago, they're really new in their faith still today. And they need a spiritual mother and a father. They need spiritual brothers and sisters, but yet too many of them are not present to be the family that they need. You and I have a responsibility to one another. You and I have a responsibility to be spiritual parents and spiritual family and spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ to one another. But if we are not sharing time and space with one another, then those family bonds do not form and then influence is not there for us to be able to give the help that's needed. We don't want people that are babes, newborns, spiritually, in the faith, to look around an empty room and not find the spiritual mothers and fathers that they desperately need. 
Luke 2, 1 to 7, at this time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census that was taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth, which is quite a distance. Look it up on a map. He took within Mary, who he was engaged to, who was now expecting a child. We think road trips are tough now. With DVD players in cars, cruise control, climate control. How about traveling hundreds of miles with your pregnant wife on a donkey while you're walking in front of it? And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Come on. Merry Christmas. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Will you be a Mary and Joseph to somebody in their faith? Would you, would you be willing to go to such lengths to care for somebody who's new in their faith? Would you be willing to posture yourself to show up in spaces, to be present with the hope and the expectation that God would use you to be a spiritual mother or father to someone else? Would you be willing to show up in spaces and environments and posture yourself in an environment? Maybe you're not ready yet to be a spiritual mother and a father, but you can be a brother and a sister. You you might not have the wisdom that they need to help them sort it out, but you can say, hey, let's figure it out together. You can connect them to the people that have been wise to you. Matthew 21, 1 to 6. I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but it is the story of the triumphal entry. So we move through time, 33 years. And this time, instead of it being Mary on the donkey, it's, it's Jesus himself riding on that donkey into Jerusalem as all of the city is shouting Hosanna in the highest, which is a Hebraic declaration that he is the Messiah. I share that with you because that moment that he was riding on the donkey was important because it was prophesied centuries before that that's how he would come into the city. From the moment of Jesus' birth, even the circumstances leading up to his birth, every moment fulfilled one of the 60 major prophecies found in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled every single one. Professor Peter Stoner in the book Science Speaks tells us that if he had just only fulfilled eight of the 60, you track it with me? Just eight of the 60 the probability of someone doing just eight of the 60 is one in 10 to the 17th power. That is the number one with 17 zeros after it. Nathaniel Miller is going to give a tutorial to explain what that number is after the service. What would that number be for the probability of all 60? Just eight, one in 10 to the 17th power. Peter Stoner writes in his book, just to help us understand the statistical probability of one in 10 to the 17th power, which is the probability of only fulfilling eight, would be if you took enough silver dollars to cover the state of Texas 
two feet deep. You tracking with me? The entire state of Texas, two feet deep with silver dollars. Then you take a person and blindfold them and put them in Dallas and tell them to start walking. And then the first time they reach down and pick one up would be picking up the one that had been marked to be found. Meaning that when you were dumping all those silver dollars out to cover the state of Texas two feet deep, there was just one of them that had a mark on it. A blindfold person on foot leaving Dallas. The first time they bend over, they pick up the one that was marked. That's the statistical probability of one in 10 to the 17th power. It's crazy. It's crazy. Jesus did all 60. All 60. Number 627 reads this way. Whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel in my name, I myself will bless them. This is one of the many prophetic declarations of the coming of Christ in the Old Testament. And here, this word bless in the Hebrew is the word barak, and it means to kneel. And it's quite perplexing because as you study in that text, in that language, it doesn't seem to make sense that God would say, I'm going to kneel before the people of Israel when you pray a blessing over them. But what we know is that what he was talking about wasn't that he was going to kneel before them as if he was going to worship his people. It was a prophetic declaration, meaning that the great way that God was ultimately going to bless the world was that he was going to kneel in the way that we kneel to make ourselves accessible to children. You ever got down on your knees for a child that's too small to reach you? Have you ever gotten down on your knees so that you can get into a child's space because you realize you're too big to, for them to get into yours? Number 627. God says, no, 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 no. I know that they cannot get to me. I know that they cannot reach me. I'm going to reach them. And I'm going to find a way to make myself so small even though I am divine, even though the universe is not big enough to contain me, I will find a way to make myself accessible to them. This is Jesus saying to you and to me, I want to be tangibly present with you and I will do whatever it takes to get there. Number six was 1,500 years before the birth of Jesus. 1,500 years! When do your kids start talking about Christmas every year? You're on summer vacation. See your child feverishly working on something. What are you working on? My Christmas list. The the older they get, the the more they get acclimated to the calendar, they realize December's coming. Can, Can you just see, I want you to see number six the way Jesus saw it. In the, in the heavens, when this was spoken, this is Jesus saying to the world, I can't wait for Christmas to come. I know it's 1,500 years in the making. I know that it's centuries out there, but Christmas is coming and I can't wait to be tangibly present with you. 
Does that same sentiment stir in your heart when you think about the family of God? When you think about the life experience that you carry, the wisdom that you have, the lessons that you have learned, and then you think about people who could benefit from those lessons, could benefit from that wisdom. Do you, is your heart stirred in the same way to be tangibly present so that you're accessible to others in the way that Jesus' heart longed to be tangibly present with us? Because it's one thing to say that we believe in the incarnation of Christ. It's something else to live by his example. Your wisdom. The second one is this, is your concern. Your concern. Luke 2, 8, this is a chunk. I'm going to read it all, 8 to 20. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Most important verse in the whole vignette. Guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, The Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, in the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, suddenly, it's not just one angel, but a vast host of others, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of angelic beings. Can you imagine? That thin veil that separates the temporal from the eternal, God just peeled it back and there they were. The armies of heaven, praising God, saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on peace and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, hey, let's go to Bethlehem. Of course they said that, right? Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Come on. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. The shepherds were there guarding the flock. Mm. I believe God wants to gift open heaven moments to communities of people who have a sense of responsibility for the well-being of one another. I believe God wants to gift open heaven moments to communities of people who have a sense of responsibility for the well-being of one another. I think it's powerful. I think there's lots of reasons he picked shepherds here. And I think we could do a whole sermon series on that. But I think one of them is because the nature of a shepherd's heart. Sure, it's also prophetically telling us the nature of Christ. But can we not agree that's part of what we're talking about tonight? Are we just going to believe in who he is? Are we going to endeavor to become like him? 
Are we just going to be orthodox in our beliefs or are we going to be orthopraxic in our praxis? Is our practice going to reflect what we declare we believe to be true? Jesus had a, has a shepherd's heart. Guess what? We are supposed to have a shepherd's heart too. This picture of the shepherds there guarding the flock, making sure they were okay, understanding that they were vulnerable, understanding that by them being there and being present, they were protecting them in some measure. Can we just agree? We need other people to do that for us. And we need to be doing that for other people. Are you willing to show up in spaces, Saturday services, life groups, serving in ministry, because you carry in your heart a sense of concern for the well-being of your brothers and sisters in Christ? for the spiritual father, fathers and the mothers who have invested in you, for the spiritual children that you now have because you're a spiritual father and a mother to somebody else. Is church just for you, for what you get out of it? It cannot be. It cannot be. It must not be. You and I were created by God to have a shepherd's heart for one another. I want 311 Selden Road to be known as an open heaven. I hope you do too. I want this to be a place geographically that has a reputation. That the veil that separates heaven from earth is thin here. It's thin here. Why? Because it's a place of shepherds, humble people who have a sense of concern for the well-being of one another. We are both in the flock and guarding over it together at the same time, will you add your concern to tip the scale? Will you add your concern to tip the scale? I hope you do. Isaiah 7, 14, come on. All right, then it says, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now this is 700 years. So we started at 1,500 years. Now we're at 700 years. Why do these prophecies keep coming over the timeline of history? Because Jesus wants us to see him as standing on the precipice of heaven saying to the Father, can I go now? Can I go now? Can I go now? Because he wanted to be tangibly, tangibly present with us. He wanted to be with us. He wanted to be in our midst because it was the very nature of who he is. But at the same time, he's asking you and me, will you let this be the nature of who you are? Will you believe in me? Will you follow my example? Will you follow my example? Then we get to Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, the last of the minor prophets. They're called minor prophets, not because they're insignificant, just but because their books are shorter. Malachi to Matthew is 400 years of prophetic silence. Four centuries. There was no prophetic utterance from heaven through people on the earth until John the Baptist comes onto the scene. John the Baptist's voice shattered 400 years of prophetic silence and he had one message. The king is coming. The savior has been set free. 
And he is going to be tangibly present with us. Get ready. Every mountain should be brought low. Every valley should be exalted. The crooked straight and the rough places plain. Prepare the way for the Lord. He's coming to be tangibly present in our midst. 400 years for Jesus was like Christmas Eve. You might say, well, that doesn't seem to fit because Christmas Eve was really just last for a few hours. But don't forget the Bible says that to Jesus, who is eternal, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. So 400 years, it's just a few hours for him. It was the Christmas Eve of heaven. Those 400 years of prophetic silence was Jesus saying, I'm about ready to show up in your world. I'm about ready to be tangibly present for you to be your savior, but even more so to be your example. Matthew 1, 18 to 15, Luke 2, 8 to 20. We already read it. It is the moment of Jesus' birth. It is the moment in time where the incarnation of Jesus is made, man, made manifest. He is here. Fully God and fully man. 30 years after Jesus' death, Paul writes in Philippians 2, 6-7, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. This is Paul writing 30 years after the resurrection of Christ, saying to the world, don't forget what Jesus did. Don't forget how he came. Don't forget the desire of his heart to be tangibly present with us. Don't forget the miracle of the incarnation, not just so that we could glory and worship over the majesty of such great a salvation, but so that we could be challenged and inspired to live like him. To be willing to empty of ourselves, to be willing to whatever we have, to not see it as privilege, but to say, I'm willing to make whatever sacrifice necessary to be present with other people. The incarnation of Jesus, Emmanuel, is more than God's plan for our salvation. This is God's example for us. He expects us to be tangibly present with one another. This is Christianity, people. It's one thing to believe something. It's another, something else to walk it out. So I'm asking you this question tonight. God is with us, are you? God is with us, are you? John 1.14, so the word became human and made his home among us. In the King James, it says, and the, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's so good, isn't it? He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. 
and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. What does that mean? We have seen it. We've not seen it because he enabled us supernaturally to see into a faraway place. We saw it because he left a faraway place to come here to be with us. They, they saw the glory because they saw Jesus because Jesus was tangibly present in their midst. All right, I'm coming forward. Coming at you. This pandemic has taken people's loved ones and for some it has taken their careers, for others it has taken their peace. It has fractured relationships, provoked contentious arguments, revealed societal inequities, closed businesses, destabilized global economies and that list could just keep going, could it not? But at some point, if you profess faith in Jesus Christ, you must decide when you're going to stop covid from robbing you of incarnational living. For some of you, I'm not questioning whether or not you believe in Jesus. I'm not questioning whether or not you believe in the incarnation, but I am questioning whether or not you have stopped living like him. I am questioning whether or not you have allowed COVID to secularize your Christianity. Are there exceptions? They are, and I'm going to get to those. This does not apply to everyone, but it applies to some. Because there has always been good reasons for people not to come to church. But there have also always been people who had no good reason and still did not come. That has not, people, the pandemic has not changed that. There have always been people who should be here and have not. It's just more people now stand in that circle. And it's time to come into the other of incarnational living. If you're sending your children to school, but you're not bringing them to church, is that living like Jesus? If you log in instead of showing up, just, just because it's more convenient, just because it's easier to watch church in your pajamas, is that living like Jesus? If you aren't serving in some capacity to make a weekend worship service happen for other people, is that living like Jesus? If you aren't giving sacrificially, if you're not taking a portion of what you have every week in the offering and saying, I want to sow this into the work of the kingdom, is that living like Jesus? If you're at malls, restaurants, sporting events, community gatherings, play dates, and your workplace that you post on Facebook that we all see, but aren't at church, is that living like Jesus? Is it living like Jesus? Are there exceptions? You better believe there are. People who are immunocompromised, you should not be here. And we do not want you to be here. Why? Because we're concerned for you. People who have newborns in their home. Pe people who, who have, have battled cancer, let's say are in remission, and then there's questions about safety. We were saying, they should, this message is not for them. It is not for them. People who have been consistent with their practice, this message is not for them. People who have not been here, but have also not been in other places because they've been consistent with their concern and where they've been going and where they've not gone, this message is not for them. This message is not for them. Can I just tell you that all the people who cannot be here, if I was one of those people, I'm not going to say the names, but I can think of some families right now 
It breaks my heart that they cannot be here because of the situations that themselves or their children are facing. What, what, does it, what do you think it says to them that other people could be here and they just choose not to come? Yeah, I would need to sing that song that we did at the end of the worship set a whole lot more to be delivered from bitterness. When you're out of town, if you're sick, not because of COVID, but for something else, we don't want your germs. Do not come here. I love that online church makes it easy for visitors to ask the question, is this the church that I'm supposed to call home? Maybe not after watching tonight. Or maybe for some, somebody's going to say, that's just the kind of church I've been looking for. I love that online church enables us to get into people's homes who might not otherwise have come. Or they get to enter into a conversation with God. Is this the church that I'm supposed to be a part of? Because guess what? If this is not the church that they're supposed to be a part of, we want them to get busy pursuing the church family that they are supposed to call home. How, How about... What online church enables us to take the message of the gospel and send it around the world. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Online church is going to be a part of City Life Church forever, forever if I have something to say about it. But it it cannot be, people. It cannot be. It cannot be. Something that you lean into because you are leaning away from incarnational living Invite the keys to come up or whatever Chris is going to do to facilitate prayer at the end of the service. The series that we're going to be doing here in December, Pastor Justin's going to come and preach next week, focusing in on the story of. Elizabeth and Mary and that little vignette that's in the Christmas story. And then the week after, I'm going to pick up with your worship, your generosity, and your service. Again, we did your wisdom and your concern tonight. Again, I'm going to do your worship, your generosity, and your service. Your worship and generosity is picking up on the vignette of the Magi. And then your service is picking up with the story of Anna and Simeon in the temple. The entire Christmas story is saying Jesus is fully God and fully man. And it is also saying to you and me, follow his example. Not that we can be fully God, but that we are supposed to be tangibly present with one another. If Jesus fit into humanity, you and I can certainly try to fit into the lifestyle that he wants us to have. A lifestyle defined by incarnational living, being tangibly present for one another in the family of God. If he could figure out and find a way to fit all of who he is into a child, into a mother's womb, into the body of a man, can we not strive and endeavor to find a way to be present with other people? to be spiritual mothers and fathers, to be brothers and sisters in Christ, to be a shepherd in a flock, and to be shepherded by others. If you're just wondering how significant it was that 
Jesus found a way to fit into humanity. Let me read these verses as we come to a close tonight. In Isaiah 40, 12 to 15, you can stand because at the end of this, we're going to close in prayer. Isaiah 40, 12 to 15, and I'm going to read 25 to 28. It says, who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers, the span of his hand? Who else knows the weight of the earth? Who has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or to teach him? Who has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice from? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? No, for all the nations of the world are but a drop in a bucket. They are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it was one single grain of sand. To whom will you compare me, he says. Who is my equal, asks the Holy One. Look up into the heavens who created all the stars. He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary, and no one can measure the depths of his understanding. All of that fit into a child. All of that. All of that found a way to be tangibly present for us. Will we not move past declaring a belief in the incarnation and declare a promise, invite a conviction to follow in his example, to be tangibly present for one another? Father, I pray that this Christmas would be a turning point for so many people, that it would shake them out of their slumber, that it would shake them out of their complacency, that this orthodoxy, this, this belief, this upright belief in the incarnation of Christ would begin to flow into practice, would begin to flow into action, would begin to displace a lack of concern for their brothers and sisters in Christ would displace an unwillingness to share their wisdom and life experience with others in the room. Help us, help us. Of all the gifts that we decide to give this Christmas, may it be that every person that calls City Life Church their home would move into 2022 with a renewed sense of determination to be tangibly present with one another. And those that cannot be, we lift them up. For those who should not be, we say give them strength. For those that must not be here, we pray that they would have a sense of being held by you kept by you, loved by us, that even now with this prayer that they would hear the longing of our heart for us to be with them, but knowing that we can't. 
But those that should, but those that should, would live as though they must. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together, amen.